Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. As you guys have uh, heard, my name is Alex, and I'm going to be bringing uh, you guys First John this morning. Uh, so, have you ever had your confidence shook? Like really shaken. Like you've done something all your life. It's your job. It's your trade. It's something you know so well. But you've had your confidence shaken in it. Like you're doubting yourself. Yes? Yeah, okay. You're allowed to talk back. You just don't heckle. Don't Whatever they said, don't listen. Um... But it's something you built your career on. And someone comes along and says, is it really supposed to be done like that? Well, yeah. Are you sure? I don't know now. And and you start to mix in these these variables in your in your brain and you start thinking back of what you did. And, And I can recall there's times in my life when I have had a few jobs in, in my time here on earth, and uh, I've done many hours of many different things, and one in time particular, I can recall when I was in policing, and I had a, a particular sergeant who we did not see eye to eye. Um, he would always nitpick at certain things, and I was working on this certain case, um, and, and he drew doubt he was giving me a hard time on this case and drew doubt in my mind. And, I, and so then I started thinking to myself, did I ask all the right questions? Did I miss something? Did I skip a step? Did I not interview somebody that I should have interviewed? Did I not, did I not, did I not? And I, and I put so much doubt into my mind that I thought I did something wrong or I was, wasn't doing the job right. So as we explore the, um, the letter of 1 John, we will find that John is writing to a group of believers who are in a very problematic situation. This situation left them questioning everything they knew, everything they've been taught. And John is sending letters to encourage them and remind them of who Jesus is and what he did. They needed to be reminded to have confidence in the creator. We need to be reminded sometimes to have confidence in the creator. So let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for for John and the ability uh, for him to write this letter to encourage those who are believing, Father, so that it can encourage us today. Father, I pray for those who are are listening to your word right now that we are able to receive um, the word that you have placed on my heart, that I am able to convey it um, to your your way, Father. And and, uh, Father, I pray that my words um, fall silent and your words reign supreme. So Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for the people here. We thank you for the people online. Uh, And we pray all these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we go any further, who wrote the letter of 1 John? Some of you may think, well, that's easy. It was John. 
but which John? There were many Johns in the Bible. Uh, but as I was going through my studies, um, I want to clear this up so we're kind of all on the same page as I'm talking about John. Um, the author of this letter is never mentioned. It's never mentioned in the other letter uh, accounts of John. It just says the elder, but this one says nothing. This doesn't say anything about who's writing this. Uh, but it actually matches quite well to the vocabulary and the style of the Gospel of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel of John. So that puts it in a high like, uh, commonality with that John. So that means John, son of Zebedee, one of the, you know, one of the 12 that followed Jesus. That's most likely the author of this book and the other. So all four John accounts are most likely to be that John. That's, that's what they believe to be. So now that we've cleared that up, we know who wrote the letter first, John. Why did he write it? He was writing to a network of churches. So these churches were like house churches or small churches. They were led by, um, by a, a couple of leaders, uh, but it was most likely in the area of Ephesus, ancient Ephesus. Um, and they were related to one another. So these house churches were related to one another through friendship, hospitality, um, support for one another. So they knew one another. And so this was a network of churches that were being affected by what was happening. So this group of believers that John was writing to were in the midst of a problematic situation, like I just said. And some of them had abandoned the faith that they knew in Jesus and what they once been taught. They found that the idea uh, that God had come in a human body to be impossible. But to be true with the common Greek belief uh, that the flesh is evil and only the spirit is good. So they believed that God couldn't come down and be a person and be evil in a human form. So they said, because your flesh is always evil, there's nothing you can do about it, your flesh is evil, your spirit's good. So they were, they were, there were things happening in their brain that they're, they're starting to say these things and causing doubt with other believers. But uh, despite their denial of the Messiah, their sinful lives, and lack of practical love, they claim to know God and belong to God. The letter speaks of deceivers, liars, false prophets, and the Antichrist, some of whom denied um, identified with the former church members. So they're still in and about these communities. So in and about these church groups trying to uh, seek converts for their thought and their beliefs. So they're in amongst these church groups still talking to these people, still say, well, this whole Jesus thing, really? Really? And causing doubt and drawing back to saying, Am I doing the right thing? Unfortunately, the letters don't describe what these uh, sensationists really believed, like what was their actual belief system, but we gain some clues by noticing um, what the letter is condemning, like what John is saying is what you should not be doing. Um, I, was, I was able to obtain this list through uh, one of my texts that I have from, uh, from the New Testament uh, study textbook that I have. And um, there's several items that John de uh, deems condemned. So uh, first is they claim to be without sin. They claim to know 
God but disobey his commands. They claim to love God but do not love their brothers and sisters. Love the world or things that are worldly. Deny Jesus is Christ. Deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. Deny the Father and the Son. And do not confess Jesus. And finally, do not abide in the teachings of Jesus. So, as we read through the letter of 1 John, we understand why uh, these believers who are left behind were shaken. They were deeply shaken. These are things that we know is, is wrong, but they were being bombarded with those things. And it left them uncertain about what they were taught. They still had people around them who they knew, once knew were brothers and sisters in Christ, claiming these, but claiming these as truths. It sounds kind of all too familiar with today's world, though. We seem to be battling a lot of thoughts and ideas and um, movements that claim to be good but ultimately remove our focus from Jesus. So let's see what John has to say in uh, chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. And it goes on to say, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they have had, for had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but, who, uh, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son no one denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If, you or if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. So the groups of people who were led astray from Christ and John is warning us in this passage, John is reminding us, we know the truth. And through this letter, it plainly says, I or we are writing these things. So John says this plainly in the letter that I or we are writing these things so that John didn't speak in code or complex talk. He was very plain and blunt and, and common talk. He was to the point. Because they didn't need that. This group of Christians who were shook did not need to be thinking of hyperboles and different things, of trying to make sense of what John was saying. He, they needed plain talk. They needed straight talk. 
So John wrote in the letter four times, uh, I or we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. These are four points that we're going to be focusing on today. So if you are a note taker, we're going to be focusing on these four things. Our joy may be complete. You may not sin. About, and about those who are trying to deceive you, believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So let's, let's look at the first point, reminding us why uh, we should have confidence in our Creator. So let's look why we have joy in Him. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. If you notice that in the, in the section of letters, uh, this letter here, you're going to see the word, we have seen. So we have seen. Who's the we? John, when, when you read through here, you're going to see we a few times. And the we is actually the, the apostles. So when he's referring to the we, it's the apostles. So those who actually had firsthand account of Jesus. And he's saying, and when we have seen that, it was John who was the, in the we and had uh, eyewitness account of Jesus. And John said these things that we have heard, we have seen, we have touched John had first-hand experience with Jesus. And now, through John, these churches are getting fellowship with Jesus. And, and get to know our heavenly creator. Just as we claim to know and have a relationship with God, the Father, we were introduced in fellowship by somebody whether that was a mother, father, relative, grandparent, friend, whatever, but we were introduced into this. And that's what John's attempting to reintroduce to this group. Paul Washer explains it this way. Um, John is explaining to who he is writing to uh, that he has seen God through the manifestation of Jesus. He has touched God through Jesus, and he has heard God through Jesus. And John is, is saying, no, we did not have a vision or a dream, but we entered into our world. He, God entered into our world, and we saw him. Not only did we see him, but also contemplated him. We touched him. We cared for him. Jesus was a real man. That's the claim of Christianity some over 2,000 years ago. Jesus was a real man. 
but he was fully man and fully God and came down to earth for us. He lived among us. John wrote to reassure them of what they have heard. From the beginning, the letter testifies to the reality of the Messiah coming. Coming in the flesh, reassuring that the believers that they have full access to the truth. The truth and joy of knowing the Father through his Son, Jesus. When you are in fellowship with the Son, you are in fellowship with God. We should want to remove ourselves from the things of this world, the sin that separates us from God, so that we may, we may have joy with him. John's letter goes on to say in chapter 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sin does sin, we have an advocate in the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours, but ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him and keep his commandments. So little children, we have an advocate. This is what he's saying. Little children, we have an advocate. We have someone pleading our case for us. Little children, we, we ha he is the propitiation. I had to look that up. Jesus, don't worry if you're wondering what that word means. I had to look it up too. Uh, Jesus is standing in our place for judgment. He's standing in our place. He's in, he's in the way of that judgment. He took it upon himself. Paul Washer says it this way, Jesus suffered and dies vicariously for us. He suffered and died vicariously. Jesus was a substitute. So vicariously, I mean, he was the substitute. He was in the place of another. We did not live a righteous life. We didn't live that righteous life. We don't have to live that righteous life because Jesus did. And he's in our place. So God said several times from heaven, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. We don't hear that because he stood in the place. He was righteous. God was pleased with him. Yet he still had to do what he had to do so we could live a sinless, sinless life. Jesus took our place, took our sin, took it all, that righteous anger, from a holy God and took our place. John continues in verse six, says whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So who's the he? Jesus. Everybody gotta walk the same way Jesus walked. John, that seems pretty high. That seems pretty lofty, John. Like that's, that's a big ask. That's a big ask. John didn't make mean to make it sound like this was an unobtainable goal. He meant this not to be a discouraging letter, but an encouraging letter. 
We need to walk in the same way as Jesus, uh, but he didn't want that to be the thing that kind of drug us down. So he meant it to be an encouragement. So John tells us, this is nothing new. I'm not writing you anything new. This is nothing that I'm revealing a huge secret that you didn't know before. I am writing to you no new commandment. Though Jesus' death and resurrection, or through Jesus' death and resurrection, brought light into the world. And Jesus is the light. As long as we seek the light, we are no longer in darkness. But there is a constant battle, isn't there? There's always a battle. There's a battle when it comes to sin. And, and that darkness constantly wants to creep back in. We will sin no matter what. That's, that's, that's a given. We, if you were thinking that, okay, hey, I'm, I don't know this Jesus, I don't know this God, but if I say yes in my life, it's gonna, is it going to magically just it, bippity-boppity-boop, I'm now a good person? Not really. Uh, we will sin no matter what. That is, that is true. But we can continue to be right with God if we confess our sins to God and we seek a relationship with his son. There is a way to defeat that darkness and that death and that sin and that casts a shadow over the world and that is to remain in the presence of God. As we wade through the darkness and we attempt to keep our eyes and focus in on Jesus, there are going to be those out there ready to deceive you. John says um, in chapter 2, verses 26 to 27, it says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So there's that word again. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as, just has, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So what's John trying to say here? John is saying, don't be deceived. Know that he lives in you. If you accept Jesus into your life, know him. Know that he lives with you. Know that he is in, in your heart so that you might go well in your days. Don't be taken by the false teachers. Don't be taken by those teachers who are trying to mess you up, trip you up for the things that you've already known. There's teachers out there that will have... The sound of the gospel smells like the gospel, looks like the gospel, but then they start mixing in their own agenda and their own ideologies and remove themselves from the gospel, but just mix Jesus in there and then have you removed from his teaching. We remove the things of the gospel and throw the things of the world in and try and call it gospel. See, John was writing these things to the, the, those church leaders or those house church leaders 
who were uh, being deceived, the group was, uh, once was with them and now left, were called Gnostics. Gnostics, Gnosticism, was a, was a heresy that began in the first century and into the second and third century. And they believed that all physical matter was evil, so your body was evil. Um, and Jesus did not have a physical body, but more of a phantom spirit. And since only the spirit mattered, like only the, the inward, the inside of you matters, anything you do physically didn't matter. So the body was sinful. Don't worry about it. Your spirit's good. So it was teaching lies that we can have fellowship with God regardless of what you've done or said or who you hang out with. But that this is just a vessel. Your spirit is, is actually good all the time. Don't worry about it. Gnosticism was a religious movement or a perspective that applied to, to many Christians. It applied to them. They're like, yeah, I, I like this feeling. I, I can do what I want and still have a relationship with God. So it became a religious movement. Um, that appealed, like I said, to many Christians, and it became the bane of the existence of many church leaders because they're like, no, this is not the gospel. Stop it. Stop it. And they called it Gnosticistic heresy. There were hundreds of Gnostic churches. They, they even they came with complete with clergy, bishops, liturgy, and other organization, um, religious uh, systems. Various Gnostic expressions were delivered, derived from the Christian, um, Christian dualistic attitude. So it uh, regarded the spirit as good and human bodies were evil. So, but Gnostics believe also that Christ did come, but just disguised in a human body and trapped in that body, but his spirit was good. And, but he came only to, to give you the secret knowledge so that your spirit could be holy and, and do good. So he, he, the, this knowledge enlightened and liberated uh, them from the material existence and realized their true identity as spiritual beings. Are you confused yet? Yeah, I was. Um, imagine how confused those churches felt when they were being bombarded through that and they were running through that gambit trying to go back and, and reteach their people what they already knew. So John had to correct this idea. He said, one day, yes, you will be sinless, but that's not today. That day will be when you are in heaven and you're seated, seated, sitting next to the Father and under his tree, but that's not today. You're not blameless. You're not sinless. And um, he said, yes, our, our, our flesh is sinful, and it is of this world. So there is a constant battle. We will continue to sin no matter what. But we, continue, we can continue to be right with God. Just keeping a short account with him. Don't let the sin bank fill up. 
without making some deposits. So keep that short account with God. The Christian life is not about being sinless. It's about sinning less. So sin less. Make some of those deposits. Don't, don't walk away from God because then, of course, you're going to be tempted by these worldly ideas. The reality is, though, we're not too much different from back then than we are today. Um, we just call it other things. We call it a multitude of different things. Uh, Pastor Ed Stetzer says it this way, there are groups or people who lead us astray and they lead us away from Christ. A lot is happening right now in churches. There is a great shuffle going on. We have the mask church. We have the no mask church. We have the vaxxers. We have the anti-vaxxers. We have the civil rights activists. We have the inward focused. It is all driven by cultural, current cultural trends rather than gospel fidelity or faithfulness. But that's infiltrating our churches and people are turning it around and calling it gospel. So what do we do? What do we do? John chapter 2 verse 28 says... And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in the shame uh, at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Have confidence in the creator. Don't shrink don't have shame. Have confidence in the Creator. Know what He has done for you. Have confidence in the Creator. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are from God and have overcome them. For He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. So He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Is that, can, Laura, can I get a woohoo? Thank you. That is an exciting passage. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Know that we are his children. Know that he loves us. He loves us so much that he aches for us. That it pains him. It pains him to see us sinning. It pains him to see us walk away. He loves us so much that it aches. Parents, you love your children so much that it hurts sometimes to see them do something that was just so wrong and you're like, ah, oh, please, don't. It's aching him. There is nothing in that world, in this world, that will ever compare to God's love. Nothing. And we're not to be ashamed of that love. That fatherly love. We're, we're to be shining examples of this love. John says, love is from God. 
And God is love. We actually get our definition of love from God. God is the defining characteristic of love. Actually, I was listening to another Bible commentator, and he said, per capita, John mentions love more times than anywhere in the Bible. It's a small book, he said, but if you multiplied it by the size of other books, he said it's actually the most times you'll ever hear love in the Bible. I thought that was interesting. I didn't fact check it, so fact checkers, go for it. Tell me later. Um, But John says it twice in his letter that God is love. Not God loves you, you know, the old Jesus loves you. No, God is love. He is love. He defines love. That's the defining characteristic of who he is. Uh, I was reading online on, on Got Questions website. Said defines uh, the website defines what John says about God is love by saying this: Love is an attribute of God. Love is a core aspect of God's character, His person. God's love is in no sense in conflict with His holiness, righteousness, justice, or even His wrath. All of God's attributes are in perfect harmony. Everything God does is loving. Just as everything he does is just right. God is the perfect example of true love. Amazingly, God has given those who received his son, Jesus, as their personal savior. The ability to love as he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we understand that God is love. And he defines love. But where do we find God's definition of love? Where do we find that definition? Well, if you look no further than his word. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I'm sure most of us have heard this before. Uh, I've said it at the one and only wedding I've done. Uh, I've used this. I've used this verse. I've used this verse other times as well. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. There's that aching and wanting your kids to do well. Just tell the truth. Do the right thing. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. God's love never ends. Things will fade away in this world, but his love will endure forever. God does not demand obedience. Instead, God willingly accepts all who come to him in love. He does not demand it, but he willingly accepts it. It's the ultimate picture of open arms. Uh, I love our, our daughter church that their imagery is just this great, big, wide-armed person 
that wraps their arms around like their, their name. But I just like that imagery of this great big broad-armed like giant just wrapping their arms around it. I just love that. Don't you? Just that imagery of, of God's arms wrapped around everybody who call on him and, and waiting for more. There's still room. From the beginning, God wanted a relationship with us, a deep personal relationship with us. If you go back even to the book of Genesis, um, God would take walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. He'd just come down and take a stroll to be in relationship. He wanted to, to be in relationship with us, be in close relationship with us. Just taking strolls, me and God, walking in a garden, picking daisies. You know, he wanted that. But we messed that up. We messed that up. When sin entered into the world, we messed that up. And when the first sin entered in, it separated us from him. It separated us from God. And yet, even in his judgment and discipline, he still provided. God provided. He provided a way for us. He provided a way for us to rebuild that relationship. He wants us to be in relationship with him. First John, or yeah, first John 3, 19 to 21 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Here John says, we are the truth. We are of the truth, excuse me. Where have we heard that before? It's in John. In one of the Gospels, 14.6, says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth. I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if we are with the truth, and the truth is Jesus, we know the truth that comes through Jesus, and he came down to the sin-filled world, and fully God and fully man, he took all this earthly sin upon himself, took the beatings, took the death on the cross, and then defeated sin to have a righteous life and sit next to the Father in heaven. We know all these things. And that's all through God's perfect love. Even in judgment, as we discussed earlier, even in judgment, there needed to be someone to take the judgment on our behalf. And that was Jesus. Jesus. This leads us to our last point. And John says this, I write these things to you. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You know. I repeated it on purpose. You know you have eternal life. 
We did not live a righteous life. Christ um, lived that life. So we didn't have to. God says several times from heaven, this is my son who who I am well pleased. Jesus took our sin, took all of that righteous anger from a holy God and took that in our place. We understand the magnitude of God's perfect love for us and how God is love. John says it perfectly and clearly. So we're going to go to chapter 4 in 1 John, and we're going to read through it. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence Confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out every fear. I added that, every, but it casts out every fear. Perfect love casts out every fear, doesn't it? I ha- we have this little saying, or we, we, um, most of us do with some of our kids, um, when they have fear, I'm just going to pause here in, that, in this second, but when they have fear and they're afraid of the dark or they're afraid of something that's happening, you know, Jesus is my helper and I will not be afraid. He casts out those fears. The fictitious fear of, of the dark and the safety of your home. And then, you know, there's monsters in your closet. No, there's not. You know, just God's here. He casts out those fears. For Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Way back in the beginning, he first loved us. He created a garden. Even after we decided not to do what we're supposed to do, he still loved us. He loved us so much that he gave us things. He did things for us. He provided a way back into relationship with him. So he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that will keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is his victory that has overcome the world, is our faith. How crazy is that? This is his victory is our faith. God's victory is our faith in him. Trusting in the creator. Having confidence in the creator is his victory. 
who has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus, or expect the one who uh, believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John is trying to nudge us, nudge us in the right direction. He's trying to take us and say, okay, this is the truth. Let me nudge you in this right direction. Let me put you back on track, bring you back on center. If you're wondering, am I on the right path? Well, I hope you're not questioning after this. I hope after, after we shared from 1 John this morning or you've read it on your own personal study time that you're not questioning whether you're on the right path or not. But if this is the first time you're hearing God's word and presented like this, we want you to know that you are loved and God loves you because God is love. He defines your love. And those who are here, and I want you to, and this is the first time, and if you're at home and this is the first time you hear this, please reach out to us. Take this opportunity. Take this as an opportunity to stand in the joy of the Lord. Know that you are in the light. Be on guard. Now, this is for those who, who are standing in the light, who understand who, who Jesus is and have a relationship with God, be on guard for those who are trying to deceive you. Have resilience. Have courage. And challenge those who are trying to deceive you when they're trying to mislead. Finally, know that you have salvation. You are forgiven. Doesn't matter what you've done, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. God forgives you. God protects you. Know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him. And this is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is true. These are true. Now, if this, again, if this is the first time you're hearing of this, and again at home, if this is the first time you're hearing of this, and this is something that is new to you, reach out. Ask. Share. Don't stand in this alone. Don't stand in the darkness a second longer. Don't allow this to be something that holds you back. Don't allow the things of this world to be something that keeps you from entering into the light of the world. Reach out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the light of the world. We know that through your son, Jesus, you, you came down and, um, and, and came in and, and flesh and took all these sins of the world, Father, and you were the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Father, you, you took the beatings, you, you took the cross, you took the death, and you defeated, the, you defeated sin. You defeated death. 
Father, we are thankful for that. God, we praise you for that. Father, we pray that we, as we go forward here today, that we are not deceived by those lies that are of the world, Father, and those, those who are coming in to try and deceive us and, and mix in these worldly idea, ideologies um, and current cultural issues with gospel just because they say Jesus at the end of it. Father, I pray that we have you as confidence, confidence in the Creator, Allow us to understand that, Father, we don't, we, we don't stand alone. That you stand with us. You've gone before us, and we fear nothing of this world as you have gone before us and are with us. So, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the letter of John. We thank you for the words that you have, you have given John that we are allowed to share these words today, Father. I pray that we continue to have confidence in them. And we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.